Okay, picture this. You're a kid sitting in the salon with your mom while they braid your hair, one strand over the other, and listening to the woman talking sports. Sit back, relax, and whatever you do, don't touch my jersey. And don't miss your standing appointment with C every Wednesday at 11. Just a quick heads up, there is a part of the episode where we begin to touch on the 1985 move bombing for a bit. If you are someone who knows what that is, you might agree that it can be a little bit activating to hear about at times, especially if it is your first time hearing about it. So I just wanted to give you guys a little heads up in case you want to skip over it, in case you want to give yourself some extra you know, get yourself ready to take in that kind of information, whatever you need. We start to talk about it around the 37th minute mark and we get off the topic around the 42nd. Um, We don't get too deep into it, but if you are someone who doesn't know what it is, I do highly suggest looking into it at some point because it is a pretty crucial event. There is a great video by Vice about it on YouTube as a part of their I Was There series. There's also an amazing documentary called Let It Burn that came out a few years ago that does one of the better jobs at portraying and explaining the event as wholly as possible, Um, both of which I will have links to on all of our social media once this episode is up. So once again, give yourself care, be gentle with yourself once you get to that point, do whatever you need to do, If you want to educate yourself, please do, and I will see you guys next time. So, I try to start every episode with a little, well, first of all, I didn't even do my intro. Oh my god, I'm like so... (laughs) You're good! (laughs) I'm so out of it. We like started a whole conversation and I completely forgot what I was doing, so... Welcome back to another episode of Don't Touch My Jersey. It is your girl C, aka at Sporty Spice, and today we are with Kira McCarroll, a Auburn alum, also an Oregon alum, a track and field expertise. I feel like you've done every subsect of track and field there is at this point from what I've <laughs> seen, um, and just all around dope person already, I can just tell. So, <laughs> oh, Thank you. You're welcome. I usually try to start every episode with like some like silly questions to get started and I've been trying to come up with like a name for it. I keep trying to use this metaphor of like a hair salon to describe my show as <laughs> so like I'm trying to think of something related to that to call it, but oh, I haven't okay. haven't come up with anything yet. Um maybe I feel like it's like when you're like first picking out your style, you first walk in, you're like talking to receptionist, something. I don't know. I'll figure it out. But <laughs> my question for you today is, what show or shows do you think define your youth, like your childhood, your teen years, whatever? Oh, man. <laughs> that sh- Okay, shows as in plural, right? Yeah, you can pick multiple. Um, hmm. Okay. I'd say one of them would definitely be Hannah Montana, but not for the reasons that I feel like a lot of people would pick it. I feel like I struggled a lot with like my white ethnicity and my black ethnicity being mixed. And I feel like I had to balance and like constantly flip between the two of them, no matter where I was. And like, I was more known for one part of me than I was for another, which was like my true self. So for that reason, I would say Hannah Montana. And then I would also say, 
describe my food. Okay, there's a show on Cartoon Network called Chowder, and it was like my <laughs> favorite show growing up. And I would say that because they always went on the craziest adventures, and I have two siblings, and we would always do crazy adventures. But I also was so passionate about cooking, and still am now, and cook a lot. And so I would definitely say those two things. Like on the more serious note, Hannah Montana, but on the more silly note. Definitely chowder. <laughs> That's exciting. I feel like every time I mention chowder to somebody, they look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, I know I'm not the what? only person that saw this show. Like, I know it existed. <laughs> I know somebody else had to know yes. what this is. It's so good. I still watch that show, actually, on Hulu. <laughs> Do you have a show that you would use for, like, upper teens in high school, getting into college? Grownish. Mmm. That show was, like, a mirror of my life. I remember... The first year that it came out, it was like in 2017, I think. And that season came out during my freshman year of college. And the main character, Zoe, was also in her freshman year of college. And like, I would watch it with my parents because, or my family, because we used to watch Blackish all the time. And it like had just come out. My dad was like, Kira, like, you remind me so much of Zoe. Like, you are so like Zoe, Zoe, Zoe. And I'm the oldest too. So I was like, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> And then it got kind of eerie, like, how weird things were, like, lining up. And, like, I remember one time, there was, like, this one episode, and my dad called me. He was like, did this not just happen to you? Like, is someone coming <laughs> your life? And I was like, no! And so I also think it's, like, entertaining that, like, they had the two twins that were, like, on the track team and stuff like that. Um, but, like, I feel like that shows actually a pretty real representation of, like, what college is like. And I think now there's, like, this new show, like, called, like, All-American something something. Oh, rather. yeah, All-American. I don't think that that's accurate. I think that the, I think that Gronish is definitely, like, pretty accurate. And, um, and every season that came out, like, her sophomore year was also my sophomore year. And so, like, I definitely think that, um that that really just that that whole tv series like mixed dish blackish and and grownish were all like definitely a lot of like my my later life like the development life i feel like i've heard a lot of people say that about insecure too where they were like this just happened to me like i feel like this is my exact life on tv i haven't seen that people talk about it all the time i don't have hbo max don't kill me (laughs) (laughs) i watched a few episodes and i never got further than that because i'm a big like if I'm not, like, into it by, like, the second episode, my attention span is gone, and I'm like, okay, I gotta jump. So I believe them. (laughs) I trust that it's good. I'll definitely check it out again. But everybody would say that. I'm like, I I don't know. I think you guys can't all be relating this much. Like, something, (laughs) something's going on. Somebody is, like, doing something. But why the All-American shave? (laughs) Have you seen All-American? Okay, I watched it, and it was good. I watched the, like, the one with the boy. Mm. I don't remember Spencer Spencer yeah and it was and I was really into it for a while and then it started just getting really out of pocket like (laughs) super crazy and I was like what happened to the the main plot here (laughs) you know what I'm saying um and then I haven't seen the new show that came out but it's like just like it's all over my Netflix right now it's like all American something else homecoming I think yes 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 and then I read the description it was like all-star tennis player you know is a student athlete in college and I was like come on this is not going to be accurate and I was like 15 minutes in I was like no we're not doing this <laughs> no I think if people like I, I here's my million dollar idea if there was like 
a TV show that went to a campus every season and filmed the actual lives of student athletes, like each season. So like season one would be at like, oh no, Stanford and like talk, like only focus on like the athletes and like, not like real stuff. Like, I don't want to see the football players at practice. I don't want to see, you know, tennis players doing like, th- that's not like, like the real, like study, the get up, you know, every episode's about a different person and you're learning all this stuff. Kind of like, Real Housewives of Atlanta, but like not <laughs> like like kind of like with the with the drama, like understanding because it it definitely exists. But yeah, I think that that's my million dollar idea, and I think that that'd be way more accurate than a All American Homecoming. <laughs> yeah, okay, I I respect that. I understand that. I haven't seen the Homecoming one either, but when I did read that description, I was like. Mm. <laughs> right right i was like okay i feel like most of the shows and the movies that i've seen about like student athletes or like being an athlete in college are all just like so odd (laughs) so odd and it definitely feels like it's not like nobody in the writer room went through that experience or like researched that experience right right and also it's really important to know that every student athlete's experience is different and every college campus is different and as a transfer student and being at like two institutions, like there are people, cause like I left Oregon for a plethora of reasons, but there are people that were, that are still at Oregon that never saw the problems that I saw. And I love Auburn with all of my heart and I, they have completely changed my life. And there are people here that see problems with it. So, you know, like every single person's experience is so different. Now, so I feel like if you act like you can't get one person that fits the whole description and that is an actual, uh, like an actual description of what being a student athlete in college looks like. And I feel like it's especially with like TikTok and stuff now, like, you know, get ready for me a day in the life of an athlete. It's just like, that's all fun and cute. But like, you guys aren't talking about, you know, what happens when you're going out and being social or what social circles look like. And like, like we have like an athlete dorm, like no one talks about like living in a dorm with like all these other athletes, like, you know, things that are, that are important. And that a lot of people should know before going to college. Cause I mean, I've talked about, I'm like, you know, I should write a book for all student athletes. Don't make this mistake. But if someone would have given me that book, I would have been like, this ain't gonna happen to me. (laughs) And then it would have happened. I was listening, this um, woman's basketball player, Erica McCall, has a podcast and she was talking to one of her former teammates earlier and they were talking about hosting incoming college freshmen when they would come do college tours and how they never felt like people like really understood what they were getting into when they would be going into these tours and like had a completely different idea of college than what it actually was and how media like perpetuates that and plays into that because like even like me I'm in my I'm going into my junior year right now and I feel like because of the high school that I went to I had like a pretty good understanding of college because they were really like heavy on that but at the same time I was so like this is not (laughs) this is not and I started in the pandemic too so that was a whole, oh, whole different world. It, like, shut down. Middle of my senior year, everything shut down. Um, so, finished off my senior year virtual. Had my graduation virtual. Still don't have my diploma because they lost, like, half of them in the mail. <laughs> so, like, half of the 2020 graduating class from, like, Philly high schools never got their diplomas. Never had our prom. We never saw each other again oh, other than cleaning out our lockers. Like, it was, like, that was it. My sibling graduated during that time and then went to um, Northern Arizona University and did uh, track there for a little bit and just struggled because it was like so not a real experience. Like 
they would go and, and, and work out and lift and then have to go straight into the apartment, like into their dorm by themselves because they didn't want people with each other, get the food order. Like they didn't have like that real college experience. And they're like, I can't handle this being alone, being away from my family, not being able to interact. And for me, I'm like, I know that there's, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. Cause I was there, mm-hmm. you know, and seeing the shift from like college being perfect before the pandemic to the college after for the past three years has been so crazy and I can't imagine that some people didn't get to experience it before then you know and, and they get forgotten about because y'all didn't get a prom y'all didn't get a graduation you know things like that and it's just it uh, yeah I didn't take it I definitely took it all for for granted when I was a senior never thinking that that kind of stuff could have been taken away yeah so. literally when it happened it was like oh like, like you guys are for real we we're like okay we'll be out of school for a week like this is fine and then I was like out with like an injury or something like last week that we were open so I was like, okay, like, I'll be back in school tomorrow, whatever. And then it was like, oh, there is no tomorrow. <laughs> um, so. Right, and then it just kept getting, like, longer and longer. Like, it was like a week. Mm-hmm. Okay, spring break. Okay, this, this. And it was just, yeah. Yeah, it was bad. And they're like, okay, but you still have your graduation. And it's like, actually, it's on Zoom. And it's like, oh, but, like, we're going to do something for you guys that never happened. Like, me and my roommate are actually, like, having a little, like, garden party <laughs> for, like, our class next month so it's like we never had anything so we're like we're just gonna do this if people come they come and like we'll just have fun but I know so many people who like started college during the pandemic and like did not want to finish because it was such a completely different world especially if you were like at home and like you're staring at a screen all day you aren't meeting anybody like if you're lucky you like know people that go to that school too but like coming in as a freshman you know nobody you can't make those connections And then even going into my second year, when I was on campus, it was like, well, I don't know my campus. I don't know anybody. And I don't get an orientation. So it's like, I'm just figuring all this stuff out. And it was, it was gross. I mean, <laughs> it was, it was odd. Oh, gross is definitely the word. No, I couldn't yeah. imagine like being an athlete at that point. Like I know that affected your student athlete experience too, because you couldn't compete for a year. Like, what was that like? Mm-hmm. So... I remember exactly where and when I like what I was doing. I remember like it was indoor nationals for track and I had, I didn't, I didn't make it. And I was just sitting there waiting to cheer on my teammates. And then like, I remember seeing, and this is like the year right after I transferred, like I had been at Auburn for at this time, like six months. And um, I still had lots of friends at like Oregon or other schools that had transferred. So I was looking forward to watching them or watching them at indoor nationals and I remember like getting these phone calls and texts from my teammates and they were like, so they're saying there's no fans allowed inside. They're saying that now that our coaches aren't allowed inside and now we're not allowed to compete. Like it was just so progressive. And then they all came home and then it was spring break. And I just remember knowing like nothing. And then like my boyfriend, like he was in Atlanta and he came to come live with me. And then all of a sudden I got like a phone call like two weeks later from my director of ops. like, you can't stay in Auburn, like Auburn university can't, keep you here in your apartment you have to fly home and I was like what's like what is even going on so then I flew home and I only had like a suitcase you know because you no one knew how long you were going to be home for Mm -hmm. and I had one suitcase and I remember it was just it was like April and then May and I was like well I there's no point in training like it would be you know, two weeks to SECs if, like, I was training, and so I just, like, stopped training, and then I started, like, working on, like, very specific things for, for my training after taking time off, because I was working out all through then, thinking that we were still gonna have a season, 
And then we come back to school on uh, in, in August and like everything was just so different and it made me so angry because I didn't get an outdoor season and outdoor is my best season in track and field because I'm a heptathlete and stuff like that. And I, I didn't get that. And I was just so pissed and everything was so different. How we ran the team or how our director of ops ran things, our coaches, practices, temperature checks before practice. Do, like, I can't even really remember much of that time in my life because it was just so whack. Like wearing masks at practice, you know, wearing masks in the building, only three people being allowed in these buildings, you know, COVID checks every single week. And like, it was just like so much fear. And I also remember this was when the like August ish was when there was that whole vaccine thing where people, there was like the first round of like first responders and stuff and people that had gotten them. Mm -hmm. And like a couple of my teammates were like, cool. Like her, one of my teammates, her mom was like, a nurse and the other one like had an internship in a chiropractic clinic so they all got them and so these other people were going out still doing what they wanted to we're vaccinated and like half the team still like unvaccinated and not allowed to do anything because we had to wait mm -hmm. and then it was like you know a mess with like my insurance because I'm from the west coast and they're like we don't know about this insurance well and it was just so crazy it was like the ticket that you needed to like live your life and then you got the ticket and still couldn't live your life you know what I'm saying so mm -hmm. you know then it, the hardest thing I think was like track meets just looking so different and like remembering how they were before. And then I got really, really injured. Um, my, that was like the 20, 2020, 2021 season. I had a decent indoor season and right before outdoor season, I like strained my hamstring. And then because I was like overcompensating, I had like, I had patella or not patella, I had Achilles tendonitis in my Achilles and I like couldn't run. <clears throat> and then I um was only just throwing, but I was like half healthy, half not healthy. And I had like a lot of mental health struggles that I was going through at that time too. And it was just like so much all at once. And then the season ended and then I flew home. And then I came back this, you know, this past year thinking and hoping that things would be different. And, you know, they were a little bit different and they were a little bit better. And, you know, living in a state like Alabama, people down here, you know, just aren't respecting the pandemic, like how things were on the West Coast. So, you know, then I had like my friends here being like, why are you still wearing a mask? And then my mom, who's a nurse, being like, you need to wear your mask. You need to get your booster, you know, and it's like I was being pulled in so many different directions. And then I like started realizing I was like buying into the propaganda of like some of the southern states. Like I was like, oh, the, the vaccine is not even like that deep, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't need to wear a mask. And she was like, Kira, people are dying. You know, like it's just being pulled in so many different directions. And not to mention like also all of the stuff that happened with like the the Black Lives Matter movement and like voting all that like summer. Like I barely remember it. And I think I trauma blocked all of it because it's just like, not stuff that I want to remember because it was just so like sucky but it was it was hard but it was also a blessing because I think obviously my whole family is safe and they all like survived and we're all very healthy people and I haven't had anybody close to me you know get really sick or pass away so that has been a very big blessing and another blessing for me was when I transferred from the University of Oregon uh, my undergrad degree there was in um, speech language and hearing sciences the same thing it is here but what people didn't know is that Oregon is a term system and here is a semester system. And so when my credits transferred over, my math credit, for example, would be the same credit as Auburn, but it was like 1.6 out of like two. 
And so when they transferred it over, they were like, you're missing an entire year of school, basically. Like, we need you to retake all these classes. And so I knew going into Auburn, I was like, okay, my eligibility is going to be done and I'm going to, um, and I won't be graduated. My eligibility will be done. And I think it was supposed to be done in 2022 or no, 2021 had the pandemic not happened. Um, and maybe I could redshirt, maybe not to like have my graduation and my eligibility all be done at the same time. And then, um, the pandemic happened and they were like, yeah, you get one more year. And so I ended up like graduating and my eligibility finishing at the same time, um, which was a really, really big blessing. I got all my school paid for, which I didn't think was going to happen in the first place. So yeah, and that itself was a massive, massive blessing that, um, uh, I'm definitely fortunate for and was a good thing that came out of the pandemic. That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. What is it like living in Alabama compared to you grew up in Oregon, you went to school in Oregon. So what is that like? Because Alabama is interesting. Yeah. So um, I think it in order to talk about my life in Alabama, I kind of have to start like in high school. So I was one of maybe like 15 black kids at my high school and we were a six eight, so we were biggest size school in Oregon and um two of them were my siblings <laughs> so there was not a lot and I was just always like a super feisty like like equal justice you know like that type of thing and I like wanted to start like an NAACP club at my school and then my school told me no and it was just like you know a lot of like I always was super fired up so I went to college like so excited to be around black people I was like finally and so I get to college not knowing like who I am you know being mixed and things like colorism like I had never been explained like that concept and I get to college and I'm around all these black people at Oregon and I was like look at all these athletes look at like my teammates are black like I'm so excited and I had lots of great friends and I had lots of great time and I met a lot of awesome people but when I think about my move to Alabama at Oregon, I don't remember the exact population number of students that are enrolled in Oregon, but the percentage of black people that go to University of Oregon is the same that go to Alabama, but one quarter of the population in the state of Alabama is black, Mm -hmm. but it's still like 8% black at Auburn University versus, you know, the state of Oregon, I think it's like 12% of the population is black and it's still like 8% went to U of O. So it didn't make any sense when I transferred here. And I was like, bro, it's, I'd never been to the South before my diet. I'm like, it's MLK, Montgomery bus boycotts, Selma marches. I'm like, this is going to be like so many black people. And I got to Auburn. I was like, what? (laughs) And I had visited during the summer. So I didn't get to see like my teammates or like the campus or the people, or I didn't go to a football game or anything. Cause that's just how like transferring after track works. And I got here and I was like, where are all of the people of color? Like, and I, on the West coast, I had a huge Latinx population, lots, like my teammates were Latinx. And I came here and I was like, I haven't even seen a single Latinx person in my classroom, not to mention like my team. And so it was a complete and utter culture shock, complete and utter culture shock. And, um, I feel like being from a liberal state where I felt like it, you, 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 you want to be progressive. You want to move forward. You, you're always searching for like, what's the next step to make our communities better. And I feel like being in the South, 
especially in the state of Alabama, unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that, that same mindset or mindset of being like, okay, this is what I want to do. Like, this is how I can make my community better. This is how I can help for black people. Like these people have experienced this oppression their whole lives and don't know that things can be done. And so like, when I try to get a lot of activism and stuff, especially during like the Black Lives Matter protests and stuff, uh, through the athletic department, I've ran into so many roadblocks, especially with like a lot of the um, black student athletes, like they're like, I don't want to bite the hand that feeds me. You know what I'm saying? Like these football players weren't, weren't wanting to be involved. They're just like, Kira, you can't like change anything. This is just how Auburn is. It's just how the South is. And like me being this spicy little mixed girl from the West coast, I'm like, yes, we can, you know? And, <laughs> and it, it, it definitely tested my patience. And I learned so much definitely from being involved because I was chair of the um, equity and inclusion committee uh, or uh, subcommittee of SAC at my, um, at my school and learn, I just learned so much that basically like in these, in the state of Alabama, in these communities, you have to really, really start small. And it's so much more about exposure than it is about actually like, like getting things done. Like I came in hearing about how our fight song was like racist. And I was like, I'm going to get it changed, you know? And then it's like, the athletic director was like, sorry you you can't you know and you you realize how deep rooted some of this stuff is and so you really it it just comes down to education and exposure and that's not something that I was used to on the west coast because you could go to you know protests and stuff like that and demand things to be done and like it would get done and that's just how that's just the nature of like I guess you could say blue states versus red states and it yeah it's completely utterly fascinating being here yeah hold on one second you're fine. Yeah. So that was definitely the, the shocking part about moving to Alabama. Have you explored like other parts of the South since being over there? Yeah, I feel like being on the track team definitely helped because I didn't know, but you could get to almost any state around in like six to eight hours. Did not know that. <laughs> and versus like in Oregon, if you go east for six hours, you're still in the state. So um I'm trying to think. Uh, Yeah, I went to, we had conference in Mississippi uh, at Ole Miss. I think that, I don't remember what city that was in, but we went there. Uh, I've been to Florida a couple times. I've been to Atlanta all the time. Love going to Atlanta and um, Georgia. I've been to Tennessee a couple times. Um, North Carolina, or I don't think I've been to North Carolina, but South Carolina a few times times but those are all like for track meets not necessarily like going and exploring I definitely go and try and explore like Atlanta because it's it's beautiful and it's just so fascinating like the black culture there is just friggin' riveting so yeah I was partially I was I wasn't partially raised but I consider myself partially raised in the south I spent a lot of time in South Carolina because that's where my mom and her family are from so deep in my heart I feel like I'm a I'm a Southern girl at heart, but I was, I live in a big city. I grew up in Philly, um, but I've always like wanted to move down there, but I think I'm too, I'm too accustomed to, <laughs> to the big city at this point. Yeah. I don't want, I don't want to stay down here, you know? And, the, and the, I think the fact that like a lot of people, when they talk about moving to the South, they're like, oh yeah, as black people, you got to live in like these specific cities. And I'm like, why would I want to just live in Atlanta? Like, well, I that that just blows my mind. Like, oh, it's just it's really safe and like they turn the whole state blue. Like, you want to live here? And I'm like, I don't know about that. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely it's been it's been fascinating. I think one of the coolest things about African American history that I've learned since I've been down here 
has just been like, I visited fresh out of um, graduating high school. I visited the National African-American History Museum, I think in DC, mm-hmm. but then coming down here and going to like, um, oh my gosh, it's like the Equal Justice Initiative. It's called the Legacy Museum and learning about that and like going, I think it's a different level of like history because you would go in the museum and then they'd say, you know, when you step out and you take a left on the street, this is where the black people were marched to whatever to be put up for auction. And you're standing in a, you know, a, a pin where they used to hold black, like the, the history seems so much more real because it's where you're standing and you can go walk and look at it versus like you're learning about chattel slavery in this massive museum and you see all these artifacts and stuff like that. And like, that's awesome and fascinating. But like when the history is right in front of you and it's like, the streets you're walking on it's a lot more different and a lot more real to be quite honest especially with like all of the protests that were going on and like that was yeah it was such a a long summer I feel like I also trauma blocked that out of my memory I really don't (laughs) remember anything from that point in time other than just like constant like anxiety in my body and like always feeling like on edge and like angry about something but I didn't know what it was or what to do with the anger I just knew it was there yeah, for sure. It Yeah, it was a lot of undirected, like, questions, and also just feeling like you couldn't fix anything, and the way that you try, like, we tried to do it just was always being criticized, and it's like, okay, nonviolent protests, like, that's what we need to do. No, violent protests, isn't it? you know, and then we're getting, you know, the whole movement's getting slandered over people, like, breaking windows and stuff like that, not to mention the stuff with the guy coming across the state border and, like, killing people, like, you know, it's just, so crazy and also like being canadian because that's where all my family's from and that's where i was born um and hearing what like other countries were thinking about the entire thing has been so fascinating because it's like so much more raw and truthful when it's in other countries because they don't have any agenda you know what i'm saying like we it down here it's cnn or fox news and they're very different Mm -hmm. versus like up in canada you know what the information that my relatives were getting was pretty accurate as to what was actually going on and like so many people were asking like are you safe like like are are you actually like okay like in the city you live in are you safe and I'm like you know what I quite honestly don't know but it is what it is I we're here right now and yeah it's just it was that was a very crazy crazy time yeah it's so (laughs) bizarre to think about how disconnected other countries are because I feel like I always forget that like when I'm in it I'm like like everybody understands like everybody knows what's happening and then I'll talk to somebody from somewhere else and I'm like oh yeah like what and I'm like, what like this isn't your everyday like you're not used to this right it's so right. like polarizing I feel like oh 100 percent. and I I explain it to some of my teammates down here that I think a lot of people a lot of African-Americans genuinely don't understand is that when I interact with black people in Canada like they, they are, they're just black people. They're actually, you know, Nigerian, Liberian, you know, Trinidadian, you know, whatever. And they know they're black. They know where they're from. And you have to think about the fact that there is not a single black person that knows where they came from. And we have to be called African-Americans because we genuinely don't know where we're from. And, you know, a lot of my teammates, my Canadian teammates, like one of them, he's like, oh yeah, I'm white and Trinidadian. And my other girlfriend is like, oh yeah, I'm white and French. Like my black is French. And I'm like, (laughs) bro I don't know where I'm from you know what I'm saying and it's like I that is a lot of black like we have black culture because we've created it and we've had to cultivate it out of nothing and I and it's so fascinating going back home to Canada and like going into these small communities that are like an entire Ethiopian community because these people are migrants and they want to be in Canada and 
Canada allows for immigrants to be there and they have just had a boom in like their entire community of like churches, stores, grocery, you know, like all this crazy stuff. And it's just, it's beautiful to see actual culture being there and those people knowing where they're from versus being down here. And it's like, you know, you literally see what, what slavery has done to people. And it's just, anyways, long soapbox, but <laughs> I find that also fascinating. <laughs> I, I was talking to somebody about that the other day and like how that, cause we were talking about the way that people like cling to their neighborhoods, especially in the black community. And like, because you don't necessarily like have that location to like attach to yourself. So like, it's always like, oh, I'm from like this part of the city or I'm from that part. And it means so much because there's nothing else to like fill that space. And it's so interesting, especially like I know in Philly, North Philly is one of the like most populated African-American Hispanic locations in Philly. And part of that is because when like in the 90s and the 80s, when black people were like living in other neighborhoods, they were being chased out. And they were being chased right. to North Philly. So they had to create this community, had to create this space. And it create, it became this, like, huge part of, like, who they were as people and as a community. And now there's, like, gentrification and, like, everything. And, like, it's not really it's very slowly not becoming, <laughs> it's becoming not North Philly anymore. But we were talking about, like, how that, like, plays an impact, like, historically. Um, and it's always so, like, fascinating to, like, think about the history of cities and the way that impacts their, like, inhabitants that have been there, like, for their whole life. Right. Which is bizarre. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, the tribes that we would have been associated with, with our, you know, roots in Africa can literally be, you know, the cities, the communities, the streets, you know, and unfortunately, probably the gangs that people are involved in. It's a sense of, like, community that we just don't have. And it's all fabricated. And it's all supposed to be there. And it's all planned. But you know not much we can do to dismantle it except for talk about it am i right <laughs> you have such a like i feel like you're giving like preacher like with like your hand movements and like it's very <laughs> you know, it's very entertaining in a good way in a good way oh thanks it's very lively yeah i've got a lot of energy <laughs> nothing always i agree i do too. that's why i'm like it's hard for me doing this because I'm always like, I have to sit still for like so long. It's hard, especially because like we're having a heat wave in Philly right now and I have to turn my fan oh, off wow. whenever I'm recording because it's too loud. So I'm just like, all right, I have to sit it's still. It's like, you're sweating. Yeah, like I'm like, all right, I'm like, I'm glistening. Like I'm all like bright on the screen. <laughs> Would you, when it comes to like, when you think about where you want to live in the future, like, do you see yourself going back to Oregon or do you see yourself finding a place somewhere else? Um, sorry, chewing real quick. Um, if I could have it my way, I probably wouldn't even live in the United States. Mm. Like, I just, being from a different country anyways, like, I'm just like, y'all, like, it's, it's really mind-blowing when you think about the people of color in America that don't have passports, like at first we weren't allowed to have driver's license and now we don't have passports and we don't, they want to keep us here. They want to keep, they want to keep you in your communities, but now we migrated across the U S and then now it's like that now we don't want you to travel internationally. So they make it really, really hard to get these documents that allow you to travel internationally and get visas to work in all these different countries and stuff like that. 
And I think it's kind of like our duty as people of color to like explore the rest of the world because they literally wanted us to stay here and be here and to be part of this, you know, cycle. And I, as someone who is well, like well-traveled, thankfully through like through my experience with track and I've been to lots of countries across the world. Like I've seen these beautiful places and I know that, you know, America just, it ain't it, it, it just ain't it. And there's wonderful, like you can make lots of money here and you can be wealthy and I'm sure you could like start a family and like things would be great and you could have a great life here, but you know, they, they want you to stay here. And so when I think about where I want to live, I don't, I don't know. I know being Canadian, I can go to like any country in the Commonwealth and move there. So like, you know, the UK or Finland, wherever you want to go. But um, if like I was in the US, I, I don't think I would move back to Oregon. It's a lot of like, it, there's a reason it's so white and it's supposed to be that way. And it's very, very hidden racism. And then you look at like, the cities and states that are very diverse, um, so you have like California and stuff like that, or Texas, um, and I'm like, well, I want to move to a city like that, that's like diverse, it's got lots of different types of people, and lots of different ethnicities, and then it's just like, well, they're really expensive, and it's just, it's just hard, I don't necessarily want to live in the, live in the south, but I also feel also a part of, like, guilt, where it's like, I don't want to leave my brothers and sisters behind, and, like, move to a different, different state to, like, be more comfortable, because a lot of people don't have that, you know, financial ability to be able to move to a different state, so as of right now, I'm not necessarily sure, I don't want to stay in Alabama by any means, (laughs) (laughs) um, and I don't particularly want to go to Oregon, one, because it's cold, and rainy, and two, it's just, yeah, I don't know. My experience there for a good chunk of my life, I was just like, nah, this, this also ain't it. It's like a hard balance. Like, it's like so like opposites. I'm going to want to find a middle. Now, I've, I've explored a lot of cities that are like beautiful. I went to Memphis and, you know, ventured around like the community and learned a lot about like the programs and stuff that they're doing there in the community. And then, you know, talking to my boyfriend about it afterwards like, oh Memphis is beautiful da, da, da. and he's like Kira, there's a lot of violence you know like you know <laughs> you, you just don't you just don't know sometimes because you're in like the parts the tourist parts and the community part and you don't understand the, the the dangers of some of these cities to live in but also you you don't have to be involved in those kinds of things so at this point in time I'm not sure I'm not afraid of cold weather I prefer the hot weather and I want to be wherever um I'm making a decent amount of money and making the most change in people's lives. And I just don't, I wish I knew where that was, but I know it ain't here in Oregon. So (laughs) for a while I wanted to go to Texas, but they'd be tweaking out there with all their, uh, their, uh, the power grid shortages, snow and the laws that they're putting in. I'm like, Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. I had a, um, one of my classmates this past semester, was from Texas and he was, she was talking about the like power grid situation and like how they would go like weeks to, like without things and I was like that's 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 a little crazy <laughs> that's, that's a little insane for me I don't know yeah the people people were like dying because of those freaking power grid shortages and stuff like that and it's just like you know as we all learned more about it you just it was just fascinating so like oh yeah I came on down to money and these people didn't want this and they didn't do and it's just yeah, they they got a lot going on down there. Yeah, they got a lot going on. I've I've thought about Texas. I used to I'm, want to live there. I'm very defensive of big cities as a big city girl. I'm very I get very defensive, especially with like Philly, especially because I grew up in North Philly a lot. 
um, not a lot, for most of my life, I grew up in North Philly. And I remember I was talking to someone a while ago, and I was like, oh, you should come to Philly. And they're like, I don't know, because, like, the North, like, that's always the, <laughs> that's always the conversation. And I'm like, yeah, like, is there dangers? Yes, 100%. I'm not going to tell you there isn't. But also, like, people live there. Like, people make their homes there. And, like, people try their best to, like, make it, like, a good space. And, like, there's more to, like, just than what the tour bus will show you. Like, you know, there's a whole... Right. other part of the city um and i remember i i want to take one of those tour buses so bad just to see what it's like because i know it's like, i know it's going to be hilarious you're like what does the real world know or what does the rest of the world know what are the non-residents know? Oh, like not know you know i i agree That's yeah it's funny. so interesting especially like philly has such a rich history with like um like with obviously like with people um freed slaves coming up to the north and like everything that happened Mm -hmm. post that philly played such a big part in so many of those stories and that's not taught and like even so many people in philly don't know these stories like there's a activist named octavius caddo who played a huge role in freeing slaves um and helping them get to philadelphia he had a huge role in the um underground railroad and he was we were never taught about him until my sophomore year of high school, they finally made people teach about him because they were like, at this point, like, it's ridiculous. They put up a whole statue and everything. But, like, literally none of us knew who this person was. None of us knew that this was even a thing. And it's so bizarre. Like, have you, um, have you heard of the move bombing? The huh? The move bombing? No. Okay, so. There was a... (laughs) I'm forgetting the exact year this was, but it was in the 90s, I believe, maybe the 80s. And the Philadelphia Police Department dropped a bomb on a black neighborhood in West Philly. Like, completely, like, burned down the, like, the whole neighborhood, pretty much. You're talking, like, Tulsa, Oklahoma level, like, wiping stuff out. Yeah, so there was... (laughs) Exactly. And people don't know this. And this was like a huge nationwide story when it happened. And there was a group of people, they called themselves Move, and they were like, like, radical uh, African Americans. And they had like, very specific ideas. They were living in like, obviously, like was very, very, very racist in that neighborhood. So they were like, very much like, pro-liberation, pro, but obviously some of their neighbors didn't agree with some of the things that they did. Um, And there was this big idea of, oh, are they being, um, like, are they being disruptive to the neighborhood? Um, And they had, like, a few run-ins where, like, the police would be like, you guys need to, like, chill out, and they were trying to, like, like, silence them in a way, but also, like, condition them into behaving a certain way, which they were not giving into. Um, so after a bunch of trials and the police department just deciding that there was nothing, nothing they were doing was working, they staked outside of their house. Mind you, there were like women, children, a bunch of kids in this house, staked outside of their house for hours. Um, and at some point they told everybody in the neighborhood, you need to clear, you need to leave your house, you need to clear the area, you need to find somewhere to go. And they dropped a bomb that literally like burned down like a whole a whole neighborhood and like i think there was one child escaped two children escaped one of whom they like used as like in a bunch of interviews which is very like 
morally corrupt. It was a whole thing. Um, but this is like a huge thing in Philly and like nobody knew this. I remember I learned this in high school from one of my teachers, but it was like a nationwide thing and we were never taught this. And this is like in a neighborhood that like we were all used to and had been in. And it's so bizarre to think that things like that happen and like aren't like we don't know about it. Right. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I didn't learn about the Tulsa massacre until I got to college. You know, things like that that are just like so crazy. I mean, I've had conversations with my boyfriend who grew up in the South, in Atlanta, about like what his education looked like versus what mine looked like. And it's just so vastly different, like all the time. And then I got to call, I got to like Auburn here and took like history 101. It was so like to this day, one of my best grades was in that class because I was so fascinated with just like how they were teaching history down here, which was surprisingly pretty good. They talked about a lot of the bad stuff that happened and just, I was like, I never knew this. Like, I, and it, 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 it is, it is just so fascinating. I think that as, as more people and as the world has become more like willing to hear and it seems less crazy, you know what I'm saying? About some of the stuff that's happened in a lot of these communities, you know, the stories are getting out, but I also think it's, it's, it's on purpose. It's designed to be that way for these stories to come out once all these people are dying and, you know, like aren't going to be around anymore to tell their honest to God truths about what happened. And it's just, it's, it's completely mind blowing that, you know, eventually these will be nothing but stories, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So. Yeah, it's hard. I think like there's progress in some ways. Like I know um, here in Philly, they like just made it a requirement to teach African-American history like five years ago, I think right before I started high school. But then at the same time, you have states where they're trying to outlaw that and like make it illegal to talk about slavery. So there's like so much back and forth and it's just a mess. It's a mess. This place sucks. (laughs) No, for real. No, right and they're like oh we're just gonna leave it up to all the states and i'm like <laughs> why <laughs> why because everyone should know these things why is it only certain people know these things it's weird i feel like we need like a a guide or like a handbook that everybody just needs <laughs> to get right what if the government made the handbook oh yeah no nothing. <laughs> it'd be all hidden <laughs> I don't even want to know what that would look like. It'd be like one page. <laughs> Just like the government's good. Like slavery was bad. We didn't kill MLK. Malcolm um, X suck. And then we ended Jim Crow and now everyone lives happy and healthy together. <laughs> yeah, isn't, aren't your, isn't your life great? Aren't you so happy? <laughs> right. You have like freedom. <laughs> oh man, this has been fun. I feel like this <laughs> This is good. You're hilarious. <laughs> oh, man. Thank you. You're welcome. I'll come and chat with you whenever you want. <laughs> oh, thank you. You can ask me all types of questions. I'm sure I've got answers for you. Hmm, I'm trying to think of some good, fun questions. Hmm. Who's your favorite musician right now? Oof. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to say, oh, man. I really love her. 
Okay. I've loved her since I was in high school. Um, her new album that came out, <laughs> I, I listened to like some of her old albums. I did not like the new one. I'm like, girl, what, what is this? <laughs> what happened to singing about breakups? <laughs> um, I, yeah, I would say her or, um, I mean, I loved, I love all R&B music currently. I'm trying to think who I'm listening to. I like the new Brent Fias album that came out, but I've always liked him. I wouldn't say he's like my favorite artist. Um, hmm, let me think of let me think of someone else. You saying that about her just mm. reminded me um, of I've seen this like recently, but I know this was said a while ago when people when Bruno Mars first like released Twenty Four Karat Magic, I think, and people were like, somebody needs to break his heart again. Somebody needs to somebody needs to hurt him so he can start writing. <laughs> writing some breakup songs again and then he made this crazy song smoking out the window (laughs) man somebody broke his heart all over again oh my absolute favorite artist right now i don't know how i didn't know this is sir what i feel like i know that name what are their like what are some of their songs he um he sings a lot of r&b he sings um oh my gosh he sings a song with Kendrick Lamar. I don't know why I'm spacing on it. I don't listen to it that much because it's completely overplayed. Oh, it's like Hair Down. I think I, I know what you're called. talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'll have to look it up. But I like all like all of his music that's come out. Um, he just put out like an EP and it was super good. Um, I, I He's an artist that I can listen to like albums start to cover over and over and over and over again. I just, I love his music. So. Nice. Yeah. What type of music were you into I'm not when you were younger though? Were you like, oh, were you like a boy band kid or? Well, wow. <laughs> wow. being raised in the community <laughs> I was raised in, I did what everybody else was doing. Um, you know, grew up love Justin Bieber. Actually, fun fact: my parents surprised me with tickets when we were about to go on vacation. But when he came through Portland, and there's a video on YouTube. If anyone's <laughs> listening to this, don't look it up. But you can look it up at, of us getting surprised with our Justin Bieber tickets. I'm going <laughs> to look it up and we, edit um... it into the <laughs> edit it into the video. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. I'm not going to tell you what it's labeled. I'm not going to tell you my mother's name either. If y'all really want to dig, I'm sure you can find it. <laughs> um... But uh, yeah, huge Justin Bieber fan. Um, I wasn't into One Direction like a lot of other people were. I really liked like Dusty McCartney. I loved Taylor Swift. You know, tried to learn to play the guitar and the piano because I wanted to be, you know, centric and wanted to be like Taylor Swift. I'm trying to think other people I listened to. I didn't, I found that as I've gotten older and interact with a lot more Black people that I just like, I, I it's so different. Like it was mind-blowing to me like people when I got to college everyone was like oh you watched you haven't seen this tv show called the boondocks you didn't you know get to watch that and I was like (laughs) what is this show and I eventually watched it and it's amazing and I love it and it's hilarious like I hadn't seen any of the Fridays until I was in college like just completely learning about my my other side you know what I'm saying but um yeah I didn't listen to like a lot of like rap music growing up or anything like that like I loved Usher I remember when OMG came out and I wasn't allowed to listen to it because it said oh my god and my mom was like no it's oh my gosh you know what I'm saying so um yeah it was um it it was a fun time just the the classics that everybody else listened to minus the rap music because you brought up the movies I have a very important question 
It's very crucial okay. to how I per- how I perceive you. Have okay. you seen the five heartbeats? What? Oh my god! I don't trust. Is it a movie? Who have? Yes, I don't trust people who haven't seen it. It's like a classic black family film. It's about like a, it's a made up band. They're not a real group, but it's like a made up group. They kind of give like Temptations energy. Like there, it's that era. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty entertaining. But I feel like every time I ask somebody and they say they haven't seen that, like a part of my heart, like it hurts. Oh. It hurts my heart. Have you seen the Temptations biopic? Oh, <laughs> the only the only like real like iconic black movie that i had seen growing up and i think it's only because i played basketball was love and basketball okay okay that that brings back then, some of the credit <laughs> right right and then like in high school we had to watch like a raisin in the sun <laughs> you know like <laughs> with, with pete like diddy that. that one no the old old, old <laughs> that was filmed in probably like the 70s <laughs> so i don't know if it was an iconic black film back then um man yeah it's been it's been an interesting journey learning a lot about about my culture you know being in college and stuff like that and especially like having friends and and a boyfriend that's so like opposite from how i was raised and <laughs> i i've definitely jumped right dove right into it and some parts i'm like i don't understand this i i won't ever understand it and then some parts i'm like how was i missing this how was i missing the boondocks for yeah. all these years that's, that's an important <laughs> one i feel like one <laughs> like classic black film that i always um suggest to people is ray the ray charles biopic with jamie fox it was so good he's like it's ray charles whole life he won like a ton of awards for it i think it's like his best role like i feel like that movie shows like his like talent the most and i don't i'm not a jamie fox i don't care about jamie fox necessarily but (laughs) i'm not just like boasting about jamie fox but i remember like seeing that movie as a kid and like being like oh my god like it's so insane and also just like great it's like good music great acting it's interesting it's interesting so i suggest that i suggest the five heartbeats that is crucial That is homework after you get off of this call Word. to watch Got my you. heartbeats. It's imperative. But because you saw Love and Basketball, I really respect it. I understand. <laughs> I give you your street cred back. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're going to start wrapping up. Is there anything else you want to say? Um, I mean, I love this. I love having conversations like this. I think real you know human conversations honestly is so much more impactful than like you know you sitting here and like i've been in plenty of interviews and podcasts and had people ask me like tell me about your activism on campus tell me about this and it's like sometimes you just don't want to talk about that you know you get so exhausted explaining it to everybody it's just nice to sit here and like talk about you know awesome black culture how i grew up like you know things like that and and learning about how every single person is different so i love what you're doing and i'm so fascinated and if you want me to recommend people to you or whatever you need man i'm here for you let me be a resource yes yes recommend whoever you're awesome this is so fun i love your energy i love your moisturized fro your laugh you're giving it all you're giving it all to me right now so thank you I appreciate it so much. 
thank you whoever's listening to this whoever's watching this whatever whatever um and i will see you next episode i will talk to you again very soon because you're awesome and i appreciate you so much thank you so much for being here oh my god this is, i'm so happy this is so good i was so nervous before oh, this was so man. like <laughs> <laughs>